Well, that was a lot to get organised, wasn't it? Well, as David introduced, I'm Paul Manning and I'm here with um, my um, wife, Liz. Uh, and it's been great to come back and be um, part of uh, the Wodonga community. Uh, again, over this week, we were part of the Regional Ministers Fellowship with um, your pastoral team and all the other churches from around this area. So I'd like to thank Pastor David for the opportunity of coming and sharing with you again on the mission and ministry of Baptist World Aid. Now you probably can hear that I'm on the verge of losing my voice. Um, don't know what's going on, but um, this happened to our CEO, uh, Melissa Lepset, last Sunday. She was up in Queensland. We haven't seen each other. Uh, so um, I think we need some prayer for, um, for all the Baptist World Aid people going out and speaking about the mission and ministry of what God's doing and, uh, and about his justice and his desire to restore the world and, in, and his invitation to us to be part of that plan. We're going to look at a bit of that today. Uh, we're going to look at uh, what is justice and what is biblical justice specifically. Uh, and, uh, and as followers of Jesus, is this something that really we need to worry about? Now, David's already mentioned that um, your church is a church partner with Baptist World Aid, and we're really thankful for our church partners, for your generosity and your willingness to, be, uh, to partner with us uh, and to um, join us in God's work. Uh, your focus country, as, as um, was mentioned, is Cambodia. So to start off our time together, I'd like to uh, talk, I'd like to share a story about Moni, our grandmother uh, from Cambodia. Now, Moni lives in a rural uh, village in Cambodia and she takes care of her grandson while his parents go off and work and they work in construction. When she was 17, though, Moni was involved in an accident that actually left her physically disabled. And since then, she had been unable to work, to earn an income, that means, besides helping her mum uh, make mats. Uh, that left her in uh, a state of poverty, as you can imagine, if you can't earn an income. She said, I had nothing to do. I just stayed at home. And about two years after the accident, her parents actually passed away. So her life then became full of hardship, surrounded by poverty. Now, Moni's situation though changed when she started working with one of our local um, partners in Cambodia. She joined, a, um, she joined a project which actually aimed at, um, at increasing social inclusion for those who were marginalised. Uh, she learned about um, disability rights and that was for the first time she was actually given information that she has rights. And she was taught how to actually start a home garden. Very simple, isn't it, a home garden? Hands up who has a home garden. Do you think your home garden was gonna change your life? Well, for Moni, her home garden did. She also received hens. 
and a rooster and a chicken coop building material. And she was also trained at how to raise healthy chickens. Who has chickens? I can say that. We had chickens. But then we moved on a typical city block and there was no room for our chickens. So they went to a better place. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, not that place. Moni also um, joined a, um, a savings group in the village and she plans to save enough money now so that she can start a small business. So this is what she says now after all this, um, all this engagement with, with our partner. My life and living conditions are better nowadays than before. I don't feel discriminated against in my own village. I am very happy that I can join with others to meet with them and to train with them. I am not alone. I would like to see my grandson go to school and then get a higher education. I want to see others in my village practice farming and raising animals. Her encounter with one of our partners, her encounter with followers of Jesus, supported by followers of Jesus in Australia, changed her life. Changed her life. Listening to Moni's story though, one thing that is reinforced is that the world is not as God intends. Instead, it is a world full of pain. It is a broken world impacted by disaster, conflict, war, and also injustice. Moni and her family are not the only ones who are experiencing the injustice of poverty. According to the World Bank, the number of people living in extreme poverty in 2022 was expected to lie between 657 million to 676 million people. Due to the continuing and new conflicts that are forcing people to actually flee their home country, there's now more than 34 million people, and that is as at 2019. So you can only imagine what it is now. 34 million people who are either refugees, asylum seekers, or in refugee-like situations, sitting in camps on borders across the world. People subjected to modern slavery, forced and child labour. The International Labour Organisation estimates that approximately 40.3 million people are currently trapped in modern slavery. That is higher than the figure in the last slavery epidemic and episode in our world's history. 
I don't know whether you know this, but this is the biggest, one of the biggest, if not the biggest issue in our world at the moment, modern slavery. 24.9 million adults and children are in forced labour. 15.4 million people are in forced marriage. 160 million children are in child labour worldwide, with one in two working in jobs that are considered hazardous. It's hard to understand, isn't it? Because we don't really see it at this level. But this is the world that we are living in now. So we may look at our circumstances and we've got years of royal commissions and years of safe churches and years of putting all this into practice and we think we're living in a much safer, much equal world now where, where people are, uh, can flourish, uh, where people can have equal opportunity. And that's all true, but that's only a small representative of what a majority of the world are facing. The evidence is overwhelming that the world is not as God intends. You see, God created us as you hopefully know, because it's crucial that you do know this. You were created in God's image. So you automatically, we all automatically have a dignity and a privilege that is ours because we've been created in the image of God. And he created us in his image and he created everything around us to sustain us, for us to enjoy, for us to experience the fullness of life, which was always his plan from the very beginning. The reason why he created was for those whom he created could enjoy life, could flourish, could be in loving relationship with him and with each other and within the environment in which they live. He created with the idea that we would experience shalom. Now, unfortunately, we reduce shalom to mean peace. And while it does mean peace, it means so much more. Shalom means that there is complete reconciliation. It's a state of the fullness fullest flourishing in every dimension of life, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual. Because all relationships are right, are perfect, and are filled with joy. That's shalom. Shalom is the reason why Jesus came. He came to restore that. He came to provide opportunity for reconciliation. Shalom is also the goal of justice. Recently, <clears throat> I heard a quote. 
And um, when I hear quotes that stand out, I've got to Google them, you know? <laughs> Who actually said it? Because I didn't say it. So I Googled it, and this is what I found out. It turns out that it was Martin Luther King Jr. And it was in Montgomery, Alabama, on the 25th of March, 1965. And he said this, true peace is not merely the absence of conflict, tension. It is the presence of justice. What is justice though? What was he talking about? What was he thinking about? Our brother in Christ, Martin Luther King Jr. What was he thinking about when he said that? When he spoke that out? Jessica Nichols in God Loves Justice, she points this out. In the Bible, justice and righteousness are everywhere. They come from the character of God and are an integral part of everything he does and also how he rules. Jesus brings justice and righteousness. While the kingdom of God is established and upheld with justice and righteousness. And they can have a lasting, permanent expression in every aspect of life on this planet. More specifically, what is biblical justice? Biblical justice uh, is about God's plan to restore broken peace. You know, shalom. And prosperity in this world. And he calls for his people to both avoid participating in injustice and also to devote themselves, like Jesus, to friendship and service and respect and advocacy for the poor and the vulnerable. Tim Keller goes on, biblical justice is characterised by radical generosity, universal equality, and life-changing advocacy. I think it's worth having a look at those three things of what biblical justice is characterised by. First of all, it's radical generosity. You know, while secular individualism says that your money and wealth belongs to you, and socialism says your money and wealth belongs to the state, the, the Bible says that all your money and wealth and possessions belongs to, and they said, amen. well, amen and God. <laughs> In Luke 16, we have the parable of the shrewd manager. And Jesus actually calls us out of, in this parable to be like the shrewd manager in how we handle our money and our wealth and our possessions. You see, back in those days, 
and it can happen a bit in our day too. It's not that foreign a concept. A manager was responsible for and looked after the full estate of another person, very wealthy person. So what that meant was they were both the boss, but also a servant. They were a boss and they were a servant. And in this parable, Jesus reminds us what we have belongs to God. We need to be shrewd how we deal with all that. We're a boss, but we're a servant. And you might remember in this parable of the shrewd manager, this is where Jesus said, a line I'm sure you've heard before in Luke 16, 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus wasn't downing money. He just told a parable on how to use it to the advantage. He was saying, you're going to get in trouble if that becomes your focus and you push God away from being your focus in life. You can't serve both. You've got to choose which one's the ultimate one I'm serving. It needs to be God. So therefore, what do we do with money, wealth, possessions that he gives us? We'll be shrewd at how we use them for the benefit of God and the benefit of his kingdom. You know, you're talking about, um, oh, you're not talking about actually, you're practicing hospitality today. And that's great. Without radical generosity, you won't be able to practice hospitality. Have a think about that. If your life is lived from a selfish perspective, to put it simply, you're not going to be hospitable. So radical generosity is not only a characteristic of justice, it also is a springboard from which we can actually practice hospitality, which is also what we're called to do. Radical generosity is being willing to disadvantage ourselves so that we advantage others. And this is in opposition to willingly disadvantaging others so that we can advantage ourselves. Radical generosity is part of living out Jesus' great commandment. You know Jesus' great commandment? I hope you do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. There is no commandment greater than these. We read in Mark 12. Radical generosity means, yes, your money and possessions are your own, and no person and no state must take them from you. 
Yet, you have a moral obligation to both God and based on that commandment, also your neighbour. To use your possessions, to use your money and wealth unselfishly, so therefore with great generosity. To love others with what God's given you according to your ability and according to your needs. Jesus isn't asking you to do and to use what you don't have. You hear that? It's not asking. I know in a crowd this big, we've got people at all different levels of money, possessions, wealth. Yet this applies to us all. Doesn't matter what you've got in the pot. What matters is how you use what you got in the pot. And to have that attitude of radical generosity will help you to take what God's given and use it to love him and love others as you love yourself. Another characteristic of justice is also um, universal equality. You know, biblical justice requires that every person be treated according to the same standard and with the same respect, regardless of class or race, ethnicity, nationality, gender, or of any other social category that we can come up with. And gosh, we come up with a lot nowadays, don't we? Universal equality is made clear in Genesis 1.27. I've already referred to this. That's where we're told we are made in the image of God. And throughout the Bible, universal equality is just assumed. I mean, if you think about it, we're made in the image of God, then this just makes sense. Proverbs 22.2 says, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord made them both, full stop. James 2 um, says, when we're told in James 2, "Believers, believers in our glorious Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Jesus also showed universal equality in what he said and in what he did. He regularly challenged the social sensibilities of the day by receiving and treating all classes of people with equal love and respect, particularly through the parable of the Good Samaritan. We he tells us and we get to see that this we need to live out this characteristic, this principle because our neighbour who did Jesus say our neighbour was? Everyone. Everyone. There was no limit at who our neighbour was. We all have equal dignity and worth. Why do we all have equal dignity and worth? Hopefully you remember at least this. Created in the image of God. Do you know, for, uh, for a lot of us, I trust 
We know this and all, but do you know how many people I've come across, how many people I've had in my, my office as a pastor? And very quickly I go, something that you really need to go away and think about is to know you are made in the image of God. And that means you automatically have a dignity and a worth. People living in poverty struggle. Poverty does not give people dignity and worth. Jesus showed it in what he did and showed it in what he said. Remember the third characteristic of, of, of justice is life-changing advocacy. Now, where to treat all people equally, where to show no partiality to anyone. However, we are to have special concern for the poor and the weak and the powerless. Is that a contradiction? Bear with me. Proverbs 31, 8 to 9 says this, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And then in Psalm 41, 1, we read, blessed is the one who considers the weak and the poor. Now, the word translated here for considers means believers are actually to pay close attention to the weak and the poor. They're to seek to understand the causes of their condition. They're to spend significant time and energy to change those people's life situation. That's what that word is indicating. And in Proverbs 29, 7, we're reminded the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. We're to treat all people equally and not show partiality to any, but we're to have special concern for the poor. Is it a contradiction? Well, it's not really. Because what are we asking what are we being asked to do? We are not being asked to speak up for the poor and the powerful because they are less important people. We are asked to speak up for the marginalised and the poor and the vulnerable to injustice because they don't have a voice. They don't have the power or influence. They are unable to speak up for themselves. So it's not about one group is better than the other. Both are equal. It's about where there's the power and opportunity. What does each group have? And one does have more power, opportunity, influence, ability than the other group. And Jesus says, and God's word says, we are to be involved in life-changing advocacy for those people. 
we are to do things like provide direct relief to meet material needs. How do we know that? Back to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Half the parable is about actually providing physical help for the person who's been beaten and left on the side of the road. Practical needs, responding to what that person needed. So it's about actually providing things like legal help, medical help, financial help, other resources for people who are facing crisis. It's also about empowering. Life-changing advocacy is about empowering. You know, instructions um, in Deuteronomy um, 15, there is instructions on how to free a slave. Now, if you read those instructions in Deuteronomy 15, verses 13 to 14, what you will see is the instructions are listed there because God's wanting to help empower the former slave. That's what it's about. It's about you need to do this so that that person is empowered to continue to live their life in, in their new freedom that they have. So to do that, for them to be able to do that, you need to do this. So it's about setting up a person and equipping them with social and financial and cultural um, resources so that they can live freely and fully and in freedom. So sometimes it's about empowering. Sometimes it's about taking on social structures, taking on um, uh, social structures that disadvantage certain groups of people. And you see Jesus doing this, it's wonderful. Jesus, um, Jesus uh, sometimes um, you see um, Jesus doing it, you see Paul doing it, you see Timothy doing it, you see Daniel doing it. They, they're all taking on social structures. Um, on, um, one, one was Daniel, where he goes, um, he's um, in front of the king, pagan king, as you know, and he says, um, and he renounces his sin. He goes, um, by B, he goes, what you need to do, Mr. King, is you need to stop oppressing and be kind to the people you've oppressed. He's saying this in front of the king. That's an that's a, that's a immediate calling to account structure and those who, are, in, who are, are involved and in charge of structure to, uh, to stop doing what they want. Jesus is in front of Herod and Herod says, uh, and, oh, no, he's actually in front of a crowd and he refers to Herod and he names the, um, uh, Herod, the ruling power at the time, and he, and he calls him that fox, right? He's rebuking one of the most powerful people, political person in, in, at his time because he's calling the structures and those who are leaning to account. Sometimes it's not about um, dealing with people directly, it's about dealing with structure to bring about advocacy, life-changing advocacy. Material needs, sometimes we need to do that. Empowerment, we need to think of that. Social structures, what is holding and binding people? Uh, and that's all um, the, the way that Baptist World Aid do, does um, work.
uh, in, in our advocacy um, areas in our community development as well as in our other advocacy. Now, listening to Moni's story, where we started. A grandmother from Cambodia who experienced firsthand the injustice of poverty, firsthand marginalisation from her community. And we hear how she encountered great love of Jesus through the generosity and faithfulness of his followers. We're reminded in her story that God has actually entrusted his people, followers of Jesus, with this bold and radical, trustworthy, life-changing, life-saving message of good news. And he actually invites us to be part of what he's doing. To not only be part of what he's doing, but to champion his plan for a better world for all. Tim Keller in Generous Justice, he says this. Doing justice then requires constant, sustained reflection and circumspection. If you are a Christian, and you refrain from committing adultery or using profanity or missing church, but you do not do the hard work of thinking through how to do justice in every area of life, you are failing to live justly and righteously. a challenging reflection, isn't it? If justice, concern for justice, is not part of our following of Jesus, are we following Jesus fully? If justice is not part of the mission and ministry of Wodongran District Baptist Church, are we a church of Jesus Christ? That's what Tim Keller is asking us to think about. How we've done it in Cambodia in the last year was that one of our partners established 10 child clubs, child and youth clubs, which meant that children and young people could get together, they could learn skills, they could, um, they could develop social skills, uh, they, leadership skills, they could learn about their rights as children and as people, they could learn um, about um, that child marriage and also um, child labour, they're not acceptable, it's not how God wants them to live, and it provides strength and capacity for them to be able to be part of the change of their community. Eight new community-led savings groups were established, and that meant that there was a total of 12 savings groups in, um, in um, the areas, in one of the partner areas in Cambodia. And this meant that people could save, uh, they had better earning capacity, that means uh, regular meetings were conducted in these, by these groups um, where um, savings were deposited and where loans were provided to each other and then others were able to be um, brought into the group. 
one of our partners ran 10 agricultural groups that trained people in integrating farming systems, home gardening and raising chickens. Most of the 77 participants have used what they've learnt to actually increase food production and therefore increase income for their one reliable food source as well as income for their family. That's just a few examples of how we've put all this into practice, responding to justice um, over the last year in Baptist World Aid and with our partners. And this is actually something that you are part of as a church. It's something that you can be part of individually also. You know, there is the church partnership and you are aiming for a goal uh, to, um, to support the ministry um, and the work within Cambodia. And of course, I'm sure you've heard of child sponsorship. And child sponsorship helps to support our community development, uh, to help um, empower whole villages, not just the child you're sponsoring, the whole village that that child is part of is empowered and equipped to um, help them get themselves and lift themselves out of poverty and also be trained and equipped and empowered to actually stay out of poverty. You can be part of that as an individual. I have five profiles with me today of children and young people in Cambodia. Uh, you know, people like um, Yanko, he's an eight-year-old boy. Now, he could become part of your family today and you could be part of the work directly in, uh, in Cambodia. Um, Sevi, I think is her name. She's a 15-year-old um, young woman and she uh, can be um, part of your family today. You can be part of um, directly the work um, uh, and, uh, and, and be part of changing communities uh, in Cambodia. There's another way that you can be part um, of the work of justice, and that is through the Ethical Fashion Guide and Report. Who's heard of the Ethical Fashion Guide? Okay, I'm not saying any more about that. If you want to hear about that, you need to come back tonight. <laughs> That's going to be the focus. Uh, it is 10 years this year since the first Ethical Fashion Guide. So we're going to explore a few issues on justice and also the ethical fashion guide and how we can be part of it. This is a real practical way of doing justice, which is what Tim Keller has called us to do, which is what God through his word and God through his son has told us and shown us we need to do. You're having a hospitality Sunday. I hope you are all going. I remember having these at one of the churches that we were pastoring at, and they were great. If you're visiting, go to one. We had people who were visiting, they went to one, they stayed at the church, changed their life. There you go. Huh? You might be meeting your new best friends if you go. Uh, they're very worthwhile. You might feel uncomfortable and shy, that's okay. There's more people feeling uncomfortable and shy than you think there are. Hmm? Most people just have a bravado, but they're going, oh, I'd want to go to someone's house. I really encourage you to be part of it. And you're told it's not too late, so sign up. Hmm? Free meal, you don't have to cook. 
There you go. Unless you are being charged, I don't know. That wouldn't be very hospitable. Huh? Well, one thing you could do is get a pack of um, conversation cards on your way out, hosts. This is what you do. We, we've, young, young, we've used these with our um, adult children as we're having dinner. You pop them out on the table. You can do it in a life group. Do it in a young people's group, do it in a friendship group, do it in a craft group, doesn't matter. All you do is you pick up a card as you're doing whatever you're doing. Someone reads it out and it's like, whose fault is it that someone is living in poverty? Then you talk about it. Or should people care if their clothes were made unethically? and why. And you talk about it. So if you're shy and you're going today, maybe you buy one. <laughs> and then all you have to do is read out the card. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> if this is something you'd like to be part of more and you'd like to um, like maybe sign up to child sponsorship or explore a few more things about Baptist Ward A, then come and see me and Liz at the table uh, after the service. We're right next to the coffee cart. Great place to be. <laughs> Why don't we pray? We're going to sing a song, are we? Let's stand then and pray. I'm going to pray a blessing um, that I've read and used before. May we be blessed, blessed with a world that values equality and equity, justice and freedom. May we be a blessing. May we be blessed with a humanity in which we all live, love, relate with respect and compassion, sharing grace and hope. May we be a blessing. May we be a blessing, blessing the world with courage and conviction, passion and perseverance as we seek to triumph what is right and good. May we be a blessing. May we be blessed, blessed by you, God, to be a blessing, shining the light of love for all to see and take up hope for the world. Blessedly we pray, amen.